All right, we're pleased now to be joined by David Hale of ESPN. He covers the ACC for the worldwide leader in sports, and you got to give him a follow on Twitter. He's got one of the best Twitter handles out there, A David Hale Joint. David, thanks for joining me. I really appreciate you. Hey, it's my pleasure. Happy to do it. Well, one thing that uh, really caught my eye after this uh, Georgia, well, I guess he was a former Clemson corner, but going to Georgia, I hope I'm saying his name right here, Darion Kendrick, by all accounts, a really, really good player for the Tigers. But uh, as you noted here with uh, your research you did, that uh, Clemson not necessarily, you know, better with him on the field. Can you kind of expound upon that and, and what, you know, kind of let our Georgia listeners in on what they're getting in a guy like Kendrick? Yeah, well, look, first of all, he is incredibly talented. I mean, this is a highly recruited guy. Came into Clemson as a wide receiver, actually, um, but just like superstar level athletic ability, uh, long, athletic, fast, really good, I think, natural skill set. Um, at the time, Clemson had a pretty big glut at receiver and definitively needed some help on the back end of their defense. Uh, so in spring ball a couple of years ago, he made the switch over to corner and picked it up really quickly. I mean, he essentially ended up a starter uh, a few months after, after learning the position. So, I mean, the, the dude is a natural talent. There's no doubt about it. Now the question that, that I posed, and I think a lot of Clemson fans still wonder is, is he capable of building on that natural talent or is he strictly reliant on it? Um, because what you got was a guy who he held up pretty well in man coverage, particularly against lesser opponents, um, struggled in the playoff, uh, did not handle zone situations quite as well and was pretty consistently in uh, defensive coordinator Brent Venables' doghouse. So he struggled to get on the field at times last year because Venables was upset with him. And, of course, there was an off-field incident uh, in the offseason that, that led to Clemson and him parting ways. So, I mean, the ceiling is massively high for Georgia on this one. Uh, it's definitively a good get. But the question is, are you getting a guy who is going to be a little more boom and bust and, and, and the booms are going to be really, really high? but the bus might come at some really bad times? Or are you getting a guy who has really just started to uh, show sort of the tip of the iceberg and is going to be a much better player? And, and look, I mean, I don't think there's a better defensive coordinator out there than Brent Venables, but if there's sort of a number two on that list of guys who knows defense, Perry Smart's probably in, in the running too. So, um, you know, he's not going to lack for coaching. Um, it's just a matter, I think, over the last couple of years, what we've seen at Clemson is how, how much is he willing to take that coaching? All right, one guy I really wanted to ask you about, uh, former Virginia Tech quarterback Hendon Hooker, of course, now at Tennessee. And if I recall, when he announced his decision to, to come to Tennessee, you put out something out there like, you know, good player but kind of inconsistent. Yeah. Uh, can you let our te Tennessee listeners know, you know, your thoughts on uh, what you saw from Hendon Hooker at Virginia Tech? Well, look, he sort of falls into the, the, the Darian Kendrick uh, model and being just incredibly frustrating at times because you could certainly see the, the raw ability. I think he came into the four-star recruit there. Um, you know, what he does well, he can run the ball well. Uh, he has a good arm and, and can place the ball, but didn't always like to look downfield quite as much. And I don't know how much you want to blame all Brad Fornelson's offense at, at VT or whether it was – the receivers he was playing with, though he's had some good ones. Um, there's been a lot of tumultuous moments in that program, so I don't know how much you put all that on Hendon Hooker. 
but he really was good at utilizing his tight ends and the guys out of the backfield. So if you're playing that kind of offense, you know, which, which it's hard to say exactly what Tennessee is going to look like in, in year one under Josh Heupel, but um, I, I thought he was probably a very good quarterback fit if you've got Jeremy Pruitt running your program. I don't know how well he fits sort of that, um, you know, UCF, let's, let's spread it out and open it up and chuck it around kind of mindset that, that Josh Heupel is going to want to, to run, but you know, I don't know how much any of the guys on Tennessee are gonna are gonna fit that right away. So he might actually fit in better with the personnel that they have. Again, I like Hooker, but sort of, um, you know, I think the, the the Clemson game at the end of the year was a good example of one where they had some chances. Virginia Tech did, and and he just absolutely shot them in the foot. And, and I think um, there's probably a situation there where I think he sort of lost the locker room with some of his performances and it was probably best to move on. But there's some untapped potential there. Again, you wonder how much anybody really is going to be successful given the offseason that Tennessee has had, the transfers that they've had out. But, you know, in some ways that sort of takes all the pressure off. And I think there's, there's upside there uh, for him if he can, you know, get on the field and, and kind of get a few um, successful uh, drives and a few successful series under his belt. He, he's shown that he can do it before. I think it's just a matter of sort of building on what he's good at instead of asking him to do some of the things that maybe are not his strengths. Now, I don't know if you got to watch much of this guy because I believe he was only one year at Clemson, but uh, running back to Marcus Bowman now at Florida, I think he was a five-star, a lot of potential there. What can you share about DeMarcus Bowman, what the Gators are getting in him? Right. Well, I mean, obviously you look at the, the recruiting talent and he was really good there. Um, and, and I don't doubt that uh, – that, that talent can carry over. And look, what Florida wants to do offensively, um, I think will suit him really well. He's going to have, um, theoretically, we'll probably see a pretty mobile quarterback that he's playing with, which should open up some running lanes. I think um, he's the kind of home run hitter that, that will fit well with sort of the explosive type of attack that, that Dan Mullen wants to prioritize at Florida. When you, you know, why do guys not succeed at Clemson? Sometimes there's good reasons. Sometimes there's just bad fits. Um, you know, Clemson is very much like, this is how we do things. They're very much hell bent on, this is our culture and you need to fit. And if you don't fit and, and it doesn't make you a bad guy as much as, you know, I think Dabo would like to, uh, espouse that they're all great guys there. And, and if you're not fitting, maybe there's a reason. I don't know that that's the case. It just might not jive well. And certainly I think when Bowman got there, he was probably not expecting that Travis Etienne was going to stay for his, uh, senior year, which pretty much none of us did. Um, I, I think there's a lot of a lot of upside for that. Now, look, Florida's going to be a little bit of an offense in transition after losing Trask and uh, and Pitts and, and some really talented players there. But look, I, I, we've seen enough from Dan Mullen's offenses over the years. I'm not too worried about it, and I think that's a perfect example of a guy who has just tremendous upside and was probably just not in the best spot for himself uh, when he got to Clemson. All right. Well, I guess Clemson's had a lot of defections here because one more Clemson guy, if you don't mind. Uh, Former starting linebacker, I believe, Mike Jones. Now he's at LSU, yeah. and they're going to be counting on him to start, from what I understand. Do you think uh, – what can you tell us about Mike Jones? Yeah, no, he's one of my favorite guys uh, from this transfer class. I think that uh, LSU got an absolute steal on him. Um, why didn't it work at Clemson? Well, it, that one's a, pretty more, uh, a little bit more simple thing. This is a guy who wanted to kind of prove that he could do a few more things to translate to the NFL that was just not going to be possible within – the system that Clemson wanted to run. 
Um, I don't know that there was a much better guy personality wise than Mike Jones was. He was really well liked within the locker room. Uh, if you remember last year, both the, we want to play movement, the social justice movements, all of that stuff. Mike Jones was a critical part of that. Um, on the field, he's super athletic can play sideline to sideline. He's one of those guys that the underlying metrics, you know, his, his stat line might not have jumped off the page, but the underlying metrics tended to really showcase what a, um, a, a, a impactful player he could be. Now, you know, sort of the weird thing with him was he was stepping into a role that was held the year before by Isaiah Simmons, who went, you know, the top 10 in the draft and was, in my opinion, uh, one of the most versatile and, and unusual players in college football during his time. I mean, a guy who kind of came in as a safety, would play uh, outside rusher, and was as, as physical a linebacker as you were going to have. Asking anybody to step in and do what Isaiah Simmons did was next to impossible. And then, you know, Clemson was sort of in this weird defensive year last year where they relied on Simmons a lot to sort of manage the defense the year before. And the really ideally a, a team that wants to have a really impactful front four, they didn't have that last year. And, and Mike Jones was sort of in an impossible situation. I think he is tremendous. Um, I will be pretty surprised if he is not a massive improvement for LSU on the defensive side of the ball this year, which – I mean, given how they played a lot of times on defense last year, it'd be hard not to be a massive improvement. But I, I really liked him a lot. Yeah, with Bo Pelini out of town, uh, there's got to be an improvement. <laughs> All right, uh, last two guys I wanted to ask. They're both from Georgia Tech. Uh, South Carolina receiver, uh, Marion Brown. I, th- I think he was a pretty touted guy, too. Can you tell us anything about uh, the Gamecock fans, what they're getting in Brown? You know, it's so hard to say because a lot of what you've got with Georgia Tech's Georgia Tech on the offensive side of the ball um, is almost like I don't even know where you where you take it. You know, there's there's so little that they've been able to do offensively in the transition away from the triple option through two years. I mean, you had the first year they were just playing with makeshift parts, and last year you have Jeff Sims coming in as a true freshman, and you know I thought the passing game showed some improvement, but it was still a lot of you know one step forward and two steps back, and it's almost impossible to say like. This is, this is what a guy can be given what you've seen because what we've seen really I don't think is particularly telling. Now, again, we're talking about a team in South Carolina that, that is a lot like Tennessee. It's, it's hard to say exactly what to expect from them either because you're getting, um, so you're getting a new offensive scheme. You're getting a lot of new, play, a lot of new key players in key places, and uh, it, it's hard to say. So I, I, I like the talent there. That's one where I would say we're probably looking more towards you know, maybe some long-term growth or longer-term growth than, than maybe instant impact there. All right, and then the last guy, uh, Justice Dingle, also from Georgia Tech. Now he's at Kentucky. Kentucky's got two defensive linemen now playing in the NFL off last year's defensive line. So do you think Dingle can uh, make an impact there in Lexington? This is a move I like for him because, as you noted, look, uh, Kentucky's done a really good job of developing those guys up front. Um, I'm a huge Mark Stoops fan. I, was, I worked with him and covered him a little bit when he was at Florida State, and he would just churn out uh, guys on, on the defensive line that, that were super talented. You know, look, here's the, here's the, the red flag for me, and, and I didn't get to watch a ton of Dingle snaps. I wasn't, you know, there for practice day in and day out. And, again, as I said, Georgia Tech, a big work in progress. But their biggest flaw, really, for the last few years, um, outside of sort of the offensive transition, has been the pass rush and the defensive line performance. And, you know, when you can't really kind of consistently get on the field and make plays for a team that's desperate for somebody to do that on the D-line, you start asking questions about why. Now, 
I would tend to lean to maybe the system fit and the transition and all of that that's happened there is a very good reason. I think he's certainly moving in the direction of a really good coaching staff and a position that he's going to be probably better poised to succeed. But I, I, I sort of default to the boy. If, if you weren't, if you weren't able to get on the field much on the D line at Georgia tech, there weren't many D lines that were sort of going to, that you were going to be able to play at that level and practice at that level and get on the field. So he's got to get better too, but I think he's in a really good position to do it now. All right, David, I can't let you go without just getting your quick thoughts on Clemson versus Georgia. I mean, this is the heavyweight showdown that everybody is uh, anticipating. Do you think this game lives up to the hype? And uh, I don't know. I mean, what are some weaknesses potentially that in Clemson that uh, Georgia do you think can exploit? Boy, it's, I think it's going to be so fun. I'm super excited about it. Um, you know, you talk about the Darion Kendrick stuff, and that just adds another another wrinkle to it. Um, I, I I think – in my opinion, if you just sort of look at the roster and view it from an optimist point of view, Georgia is as talented as anybody in the country. I mean, if you want to buy, if you want to be a buyer on JT uh, and, and say the way that they ended their year last year, that offense is the offense we're going to see throughout 2021. And, you know, you like some of the, the additions that they've made. You think they're going to come in, transfer in, and, and play at a high level right away. If you're an optimist about all of that, I'm picking Georgia to win the national championship. Now, I don't know any Georgia fans who are still optimists. <laughs> They've all been beat down over the years out of that optimism. <laughs> so the more more pragmatic approach or, is probably to say that this is a phenomenal first test. Is not going to have to define their season. So look, Clemson's really good, especially on the defensive side of the ball. I talked about last year they struggled a little bit on the defensive front. This year, I mean, they might go seven or eight deep on the defensive line of guys who would start at any other school in the ACC. I mean, I, I started putting together like an early all-ACC preseason team, and it would have been very easy and, I think, defensible to just put four Clemson guys in the defensive line. They're going to be that good up front. So O-line for Georgia, to me, is a big, big question mark. The back end, though, for Clemson is probably a bigger question mark, too. What, what we saw in the playoffs, really the last two years, particularly against Ohio State, is just a, a linebacker and safety play that did not match up with the talent that was on the field when they played an elite opponent. Uh, you had linebackers who I think play pretty physical, but really don't have that same level of athleticism. I think Georgia can really test them in the middle of the field and then hit a few over the top or get that running game going because of it. Um, if, if Clemson defensively is trying to sort of strategize around how do we protect this weakness in the middle, something else is going to open up, and that's where I think Georgia can take advantage. <laughs> and then, of course, the last thing is what are we getting with DJ Oyungale and maybe is you know what's Justin Ross look like coming back? completely new uh, run game for Clemson. There's, they've been recruiting at a high level. I don't, the guy stepping in, Ilyungle is, is uber talented, um, but he's not going to be Trevor Lawrence day one. And, and a lot of those other guys are super talented too, but we don't know what it's going to look like. It's the first time in a long time that we've looked at a Clemson offense and said, I don't know what it's going to be. So um, to me, that's the real air of mystery right now is, are we going to get elite Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne, Justin Ross, Clemson offense, or are we going to get even a, a nick or two behind that? Because it's not going to take much to say, well, Georgia has a chance to win this game if they're not, if Clemson is not really clicking on all cylinders. So I, I think it's going to be a phenomenal matchup. It's two teams that are legitimately in the hunt for a national championship. And while I don't think that the loser of that game is going to be out of it by any stretch, it's certainly going to tell us a lot about who it is that we're looking at as we move for, forward down the season. Man, and credit to you for uh... – 
being able to say that Clemson's quarterback name, I don't even attempt it. But <laughs> a lot uh, of practice, a lot of practice. <laughs> hey, last he's thing, he's going to be one of those guys like Ben Roethlisberger that they just call him by his first name for the rest of his career. Exactly, exactly. Last thing, I'll just ask you real quick: any chance that the ACC pulls an upset in either one of the Atlanta games, Week One? We got Miami versus Alabama, and then Louisville versus Ole Miss. Any chance you're giving an ACC team to pull either one of those upsets? Well, look, I love Manny Diaz. I think that he's done a lot to improve that Miami program. I have some severe doubts about how healthy and back to 100% uh, Derek King is going to be in that game. And if he's not, they got, they've got absolutely no chance. I would be shocked if, if Alabama loses. The other one's a little more intriguing to me because Louisville is a team I kind of went through on uh, Twitter a week or two ago with my over-under picks, early over-under picks for, for season win totals and who's sort of undervalued and overvalued. Louisville is one of the most unlucky teams in the country last year on a whole bunch of different levels. Um, they've got a lot of pieces in place and a defense that has consistently made strides over the last few years. I like Louisville a lot. I'm not saying that's like a 10-win team waiting to happen, but that is a team that is much, much, much better than their record looked last year, coached by a really good head coach. I, I'm not, not picking them to win that game, but I would not write that off. I think Louisville's got a real chance. All right, he's David Hale of ESPN. You gotta give him a follow at a David Hale Joint. What a Twitter handle that is! But uh, David, thank you so so much for dropping all this knowledge. I really appreciate it. Hey, anytime I can come step away from the ACC and talk some real football in the SEC, I'm happy to do it. Don't tell anybody else I said that. <laughs>